Our scripture this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Again, Matthew 5, 7. Hear the very words of our Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. This morning we move into uh, the first beatitude of what I would call a beatitude of action. We've looked at three of three beatitudes of need. We looked at the center of all of the beatitudes, which is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now we're kind of sent in in one way of uh, understanding it in the beatitudes. Now to be merciful. Uh, I will scratch the surface this morning of what it means to be merciful. What it means biblically. There will be so much more that could be said, um, but we have the same outline that we've been using week in and week out. We firstly have to look at, at, as a disciple of Christ, what is this beatitude saying to us with regard to our character, uh, that, that we should be merciful? Uh, secondly, then, what's the promise of the beatitude? Well, that's that we shall receive mercy. But then thirdly, what, what call is being placed on our life as a Christian in this beatitude. Firstly, I want to ask the question about the character of, of mercy. Well, what is it? What is it referring to? What does it mean? Uh, Puritan Thomas Watson says that love and mercy differ in that mercy lends its help to another. Love gives its heart to another. There's a tangibleness to it. There's a spiritual mercy which we often will associate with uh, forgiveness and a more holistic mercy dealing with uh, money or physical mercy, etc. Regarding the first, a spiritual mercy, Sinclair Ferguson says uh, spiritually that mercy relieves the consequences of sin in the lives of others, both sinners and those sinned against. Again, mercy relieves the consequences of sin in the lives of others. How do we, how do, we do that uh, for one another? And that would be through forgiveness. Uh, Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18, with regarding to loving our neighbor as ourselves, mentions that we are not to take out vengeance against someone, but that we're also to not hold a grudge Therefore, there needs to be forgiveness, not simply in the New Testament, but God is saying to Moses and Leviticus, hey, tell the people, forgive, show mercy to someone who has offended you or, or done you wrong. Don't hold a grudge. That, that's how we participate uh, spiritually in mercy through forgiveness. And we also have this more kind of holistic side. When we think about mercy with regarding to forgiveness maybe of a debt, not spiritually through forgiveness that I just spoke of, but forgiving a financial debt or some other debt that we have. We can think about working with uh, the poor or disenfranchised. We can think about medical or first responder work. Our confession of faith even speaks of the Sabbath, that we should uh, cease from all of our 
work and worldly responsibilities uh, on the Lord's day except for works of necessity and mercy. Some of those things just have to get done. They're that important. And we can think about those more holistic sides of our life where we have benefited from mercy. All of that is right. All of it is summarized rightly by uh, Dr. Boyce when he says, grace is love when love is undeserved. Mercy is grace in action. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and who need salvation. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. It's a stooping down. It's a washing of the feet. It's mercy ministry in many ways. It's reaching out to people who are hurting. We feel pity or compassion, but mercy leads us to do something and to act. And obviously, one of the best pictures in the Bible of mercy is the parable of the Good Samaritan, where after a couple of people walk by the man who's been beaten, robbed, stripped, left for dead in the road, there's a Good Samaritan who walks by who picks him up, gives him clothes, gives him a place to stay, feeds him, holistically cares for the man. That's a Good Samaritan. That's a Christian who understands mercy. And the call... I'll get there in a minute. The character that we're to cultivate in our life is, is what's exemplified in the Good Samaritan. In Leviticus 19, of not holding a grudge, but, but being willing to forgive people. But the problem with our character as a believer is we struggle with this. We don't do this. So, a second question regarding our character is why do we struggle with this? Uh, I'll take a stab. Thanks for asking. We don't realize how important this is to God. I wonder if that's it. This is crucial to the heart of the Lord. In the Ark of the Covenant, in Exodus chapter 25, the place where God is actually speaking to the people is called the mercy seat. For, for God to even speak to anybody who's a human to be in the presence of anybody is an act of mercy. That he was their neighbor in the ark, the place where he resided and delivered words to Moses, that's the mercy seat. A constant reminder of what's required to even be in his presence, which is mercy. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin. God even says to the Israelites, I am mercy. I am merciful. This is who I am. This is my character. What does that look like for you? Forgiveness of your sins. God doesn't hold a grudge. The next phrase says that he doesn't clear the guilty. But with regard to his mercy, that's who he is. He shows pity for sinners. We just looked at that in Jonah chapters 3 and 4. God had compassion on Nineveh. They were sinners. 
They were evil people. But God was moved in his heart to pity. But we, we don't realize this is so crucial to, to who God is and to what he cares about. Uh, all over the Bible, Matthew 9, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I was quoting from Hosea 6.6. 6. He doesn't mean by that, do no sacrifices, do no worship services, don't do those things. He's saying those need to point to a heart change where you're actually going to go and be merciful. They need to match. Um, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love? Mercy. Matthew 23.23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Proverbs 21, 13. If a man shuts his ears to the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And then Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. There is a parable where the question is asked. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how often will, you, will, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Or 77 times. And he gives this parable of someone who had been forgiven debt, who had been forgiven all kinds of things, who then turns around and does the exact opposite to someone else and will not forgive them of anything. Jesus responds and says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? We don't, well, we forget how important this is to God to be a merciful person as a Christian and how we interact and how we treat people and how we forgive, but in how our, our grace takes on hands and feet and moves towards the hurting with mercy by compassion. Another reason why I think we might struggle with this is, to be honest, we're apathetic toward the pain and suffering of others. If I'm honest with you, I just don't care. I'm too busy. You're laying in the side of the road. Well, guess what? I have places to go. I have things I have to do. I just don't care. I forget how much mercy I've already received and how much mercy I require from everyone around me. But I will not extend that to other people. Even as a believer, we have to say the apathy in Luke chapter 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan is often us. Not because we're the Good Samaritan. We're one of the men who just walk by. And we have legitimate excuses in our own mind to say, I, I can't be bothered with someone else's problems. I can't even control my own life. I have so many selfish concerns and anxieties about my future or my family or my, 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 my. I don't care. The point of the parable is to convict, to say that needs to change. Why? That's not how we've been treated. 
So, our character of mercy with regards to forgiveness, with regards to outreach in our own hearts, in our own families, in this church, we have to recognize its importance. We have to know what it is, but then we actually have to confess we've fallen short. This matters so much to the Lord Jesus, and we've fallen short. That's why he's encouraging them in the Sermon on the Mount with regards to forgiveness, with regards to this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, because that's the expectation of a disciple of Christ. You're going to be merciful. And we need to repent in many ways to say, I haven't been. I struggle with this. I have excuses. But what's the promise then? Well, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're going to receive mercy. But with regard to all of these kingdom promises, there's the now and the not yet. We would have to recognize we've already received mercy, brothers and sisters. Luke 1, verses 68 and 69 uh, records John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesying about what his son John is going to do. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. The very ministry of John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord is because God the Father has tender mercy That word for tender mercy can be translated compassion or pity to the point of being sick to your stomach because of someone else's pain. All fathers and mothers have been there. You see the kid struggling on the playground or they've been messed around with or whatever. You can almost feel sick to your stomach with compassion for your own child. That's why the father sent his son. He was moved to show mercy. Jesus is coming to save us and bring forgiveness through mercifully paying the debt of our sin because of the tender mercy of God. That, again, is a specific word being moved physically with compassion. It's the word that's used in Luke chapter 10 Regarding the Samaritan, he sees the man in the road, and the English translation, he sees, has compassion. He has compassion. He's moved. I'm affected by the pain of somebody else. I'm brought out of my selfishness to say, oh my goodness, I have to do something. It's used in Luke 15. When the father sees the prodigal son returning home, he's moved with compassion. He's undone. as our brother who prayed for us earlier often shows in the pulpit when he prays. Moved with pity and compassion. Moved to do something, to say something. It describes Jesus in Mark 1:41 when he is moved with pity, he heals a leper, and in Mark 20, he's moved with pity and he heals two blind men. Spiritually, it's what the crucifixion is all about. Because of the tender mercy of God, 
He sends his only begotten son. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, you have received mercy. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But we have received it. Because God is mercy. Because He shows mercy. Even to the undeserving. He gives forgiveness of sins. A debt that we could never pay has been relieved. Eternally. I've received that now. The compassion. The pity of God the Father was manifested in the mercy of the Son. But we recognize we haven't seen that completely yet. You must say, hold on, I've received mercy. I have this going on. I have this ailment. I have this problem. I need a whole lot more mercy than I've received now. I have good news. It's not done yet. Revelation 21.5 records Jesus saying, Behold, I am making all things new. We may, not, we may not always see that. But that points toward the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sin. There's, there's no more need for someone to forgive me and show me mercy. I will not have to forgive you because I, I, there will be no more sin. There will be no more shame. We won't need nurses or doctors or paramedics, or mental health professionals. That day is coming. It is promised that Jesus right now is making all things new. He's pushing all things in that direction. Take heart that you have received everything that you will ever need already in the Lord Jesus' mercy towards you, and that whatever you deal with right now in your life, in your family, in your vocation, it's being fixed and it will eternally be fixed one day. Which shifts us then to our call as believers. Firstly, I would say that we have to continue to grow in gratitude for our forgiveness. That's a process where we not get re-saved, but just in the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon in our worship service, we were rehearsing the gospel to say, praise the Lord, I have been forgiven. I have sinned five seconds ago, but I have been forgiven. As we start leadership training in the fall, which all are welcome to attend in the gospel-centered life, it pictures for us our growth as a Christian is that, you know, as I grow older and older, I actually recognize how sinful I am. Not because I'm sinning more, but I'm just seeing it more. I am a sinner. But guess what happens? The cross grows bigger as I reflect on what I have been forgiven. What does that then look like? Well, Matthew verse, uh, chapter 9 records this. Jesus sees crowds, and it says he has compassion on them. Same word. He's moved to have compassion on crowds. Why? 
because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A part of what Jesus is saying is he looks on the crowds of people who don't, do not know their right hand from their left, like the Ninevites in Jonah 4, and says, sheep without a shepherd. I'm moved. Let's get to work. But let's show mercy. Why? Because I've received it. Obviously, Jesus didn't need to receive mercy. But he looks to his disciples as he looks to us. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. But what's the nature of the harvest? Harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. I'm moved with compassion to tangibly show grace, which we've defined as mercy. Go. Forgive as you have been forgiven. That, would, that might be the, the best evangelical tool we could possibly have in Hernando tomorrow, is to interact with someone and say, you have sinned against me. You don't even know what sin is because you don't go to church. But guess what? I'm going to forgive you. And I'm not going to hold a grudge. That's the culture of our church, Lord willing, that we're going to not hold grudges. We're going to forgive as we have been forgiven. We're going to grow in that. Because this is not a perfect church. And that's okay. But finally, we're going to grow outward facing in our mercy. Not simply to each other. Not simply speaking spiritually. But we're going to combine that with word and deed ministry. Randy Neighbors, PCA pastor, defines mercy as compassion toward those who are in need, resulting in action to alleviate that need through acts of charity leading toward self-sustainment. What does that look like in our own congregation? We used to have an ESL ministry. The pandemic killed it. But there was so much mercy that was done there. So many needs. So many issues. Several conversions where there was a spiritual need for mercy that had to be met with a tangible need as well. We have Celebrate Recovery on the more psychological side than addiction side to say let's meet the gospel with a tangible need of mercy that members of our church will meet with individuals and will pray with them and go through a curriculum with them where they need to have mercy pointed toward the cross. Lord willing, we will continue to partner with Dolina in the counseling that she's going to be doing in our community and in our building to say there are people who have emotional needs. They need mercy. And many of them may need to hear the Lord Jesus. There are needs in our community that are unseen. that need meeting. They're grief share, divorce care. We have a deacon fund where people can call in. People walk through. They meet with two deacons. And we don't just hand out money. We say, do you know the Lord Jesus who can forgive you from everything you've ever done? But we're also the hands and feet of Jesus, tangibly, financially, relationally, physically. Deacons point people to Jesus not simply through action, but through evangelism as well. We want our kids to learn this. How are our kids going to learn this if they don't see it? Part of it is that we got to go. Where are we going to go? 
Some of us, praise the Lord, are going to go Thursday and Friday to Marks, Mississippi, horrifyingly underserved community, not far from here. Let's take kids with us. You'll hear in six months' time, again, Lord willing, hopefully, we'll go to Peru again. We can see, we can partake, we can participate. Mercy, mercy ministry. Go, outward facing. Randy Neighbors, pastor, PCA, I just mentioned, he wrote a book. It's actually called Merciful. He has his own story in it. He develops his own plans for alleviating poverty. One of the most moving things about the book is he tells his own story where he was born and raised in desperate need. Broken home, no dad, sisters with other dads than his own. In the projects in New Jersey, heard the gospel at VBS, responded, was taken to church, grew up, and is one of the most amazing uh, pastors in our denomination to push for mercy ministry. But why was that? He had received it from the Lord Jesus. He had received it from the visible church as a child. And he responded. And there are a lot of Randy neighbors in our network of friends, relationships, and in Hernando. And we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that we would be laborers of mercy to go, to not respond like those two men did in the Good Samaritan parable of just walking by and not caring, but to look and say, I have compassion to do something because that's what the Lord Jesus did for me. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, as we ponder this significantly heavy topic, very briefly, we magnify your name because you have shown us mercy. You have forgiven us our sins. You have not held a grudge. You sent, Father, your only Son to die while we were your enemies. And every healing miracle points to your heart for the lost, for the hurting. Lord Jesus, make us members in your mission of mercy. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Here or take them back to your seats if you uh, dispose of your own cups. We have a bread and gluten-free bread. We